welcome to Tea Time with Monica. Are you ready to spill some tea? Hello, loves. Welcome to Tea Time with Monica. Today, we are sipping bourbon with Heather Price. She is the Washington, D.C. branch ambassador of the Bourbon Women Association. Founded in 2011, Bourbon Women is the organization for women who are passionate about bourbon culture, women, and the promise of adventure when the two are combined. As an independent forum, bringing women of all walks of life together over a glass of bourbon, their focus is to initiate, cultivate, and inspire deep, meaningful relationships and encourage the development of women personally and courageously, supporting members in their journey to become the best version of themselves and provide a safe, inclusive environment for fun, discovery, and learning. Welcome, Heather. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yes, so glad to have you to talk about bourbon culture and celebrating National Bourbon Day. So I'm gonna start with a quote from Jackie Zykin. Bourbon doesn't have a gender, it's just liquid. How does that quote resonate with you? Uh, very much so, and I wholeheartedly agree with Jackie's insights on that, and especially from all that she's been able to accomplish in the bourbon industry, especially as a woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think when most people think of bourbon, as they do with a lot of brown liquors in particular, right? Yeah. It's a man's drink. And bourbon women in, especially was created to kind of open up the world of bourbon and the enjoyment around it mm-hmm. to women and to both educate women and, and give them a way into the bourbon culture, but then also kind of let them enjoy the fruits of it as much as anyone else, right? So yeah. I think for me personally, that kind of networking in the professional world, right? Where the men go into a dark room with cigars and liquor, right? That was kind of keeping women out. And the more women know how to get into those rooms and understand the culture going in them, as well as build those rooms for themselves, the better we all are. Yeah, I totally Totally agree with Jackie on that, right? And bourbon women particularly came around through the idea of like, you don't have to pinkify bourbon for women women like a strong drink just as much as anyone else. I, I like that quote too. You don't have to pinkify because they think we, you know, I think women, we get like, oh, they like the rosé wines, which I do love my rosé. Don't get me wrong. That's another thing I sip, but I love my bourbon. So I, I agree with both of you on like, you don't have to make it so girly. Like I can stand in my own with this. Yeah. We don't need bourbon coolers. You know, we don't need the <laughs> nice way in. We've banged down a lot of difficult doors before, so. (laughs) (laughs) They don't understand how strong women are. We're very, very strong, so. Yeah, exactly. Strong women need a strong liquor. (laughs) (laughs) So talk to us about um, any of the history that you know about women in the bourbon industry. So like a lot of groups that are underrepresented whose stories are not told in history, just because records weren't kept because their contributions in their time weren't weren't seen as important as they are today. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are records of women producing whiskey in early America. They are the ones who kept it flowing in peacetime and wartime and during prohibition. We have bills of sale. We have arrest records of women bootleggers, right? So there there were women making whiskey and making bourbon in the early days of the industry. 
but you see those records harder and harder to find. For example, you know, women who couldn't own property would sign their contracts with just their initials. So when you're actually tracing back to find key women in mm -hmm. bourbon history, it's harder to find those records because they're either wow. not there or they're masked. Um, but we know they were there. And I would, there's a great book actually uh, by a writer named Fred Minnick, who's very big in the bourbon world. Mm -hmm. And it's called uh, Whiskey Women. And it kind of captures a lot of the contributions of women that were previously unnoticed. But I will put in a plug here. He was inspired by the kickoff event of Bourbon Women in 2011 to go wow. down the road of writing that book. So um, there's a lot to be learned. But sadly, there's a lot that's just not there. Um, I do find it interesting, though, that one of the women people most know in mm -hmm. the history of spirits in this country or Carrie Nation who fought for prohibition. <laughs> so you have to say that's also right. That's also a defining chapter of the history right. of the industry. Uh, but it was also a woman who led the effort to kind of take down prohibition. And it was women bootleggers who kept whiskey moving during prohibition because this was the one advantage. Women couldn't be frisked. So wow. it was easier for them to transport liquor across state lines or wherever it needed to go in baby strollers under their skirts, however it had to happen, but they couldn't be frisked. So they were harder to catch. So, so women have one a advantage long... of being a woman in that time. Right. I mean, so we have a long history in bourbon, longer than people really think. I liked how you just broke down that history and kudos to that gentleman, Fred, you said? Fred Minnick. Yeah. Fred Minnick. N-I-C-K. He does a lot of great bourbon um, history and programming and interviewing folks. And he actually um, started a magazine and our founder, um, Peggy No Stevens, mm -hmm. uh, is on the staff of it, and it's called Bourbon Plus. And so they do a lot um, capturing kind of all aspects of bourbon culture um, in their magazine. Well, yeah, definitely kudos to him for doing that research and shining a light on how women have, you know, been very intricate in the bourbon culture. So I like that. And I'll have to get that book so I can learn more about bourbon culture, because I just... Like maybe the past, I want to say five or six years have gotten into bourbon and I'd really like to know more about the history of it. So I'll definitely have to read that book. Audience, if you want to know more about women and how they went through that, let's get that book and read it. Yeah. So, and he actually covers, because it wasn't just us who didn't accurately capture the contributions of women, right? So he mm -hmm. covers Scotch, Irish whiskey, as well as American whiskey. So. Oh, Wow. So a lot of great history there, which I'm a history yeah. buff. So yeah, definitely have to get that book. Awesome. So you talk about um, somewhat of how the Bourbon Women Association started. So who started, do you know who started it and what was the premise behind it? Just about? So yeah, um, our founder is this really wonderfully impressive woman named Peggy No Stevens, mm -hmm. who grew up in and around the bourbon industry. Um, and she was the first ever female master bourbon taster. Wow. Uh, but yeah, um, and broke down a lot of doors in the industry herself. And it was always her observation and conviction that women weren't getting enough attention in the industry as well mm -hmm. as women as consumers, that the industry wasn't necessarily focusing on, you know, like you said, you know, the ad campaigns didn't necessarily focus on women as consumers of bourbon. They were very sort of male focused, a lot of male imagery. Yeah. Um, and so that was one of her reasons for founding Bourbon Women was let's make this something that 
opens up the world of bourbon and all it has to offer to women and kind of educates women and supports women in you know kind of starting their bourbon journey. So um, like I said, she started in 2011 in Kentucky and we have mm-hmm. expanded uh, across the country. We are somewhere around 10 or more branches now. So in addition wow. to Washington, D.C., we have Texas, Missouri, uh, New York, Chicago, Indianapolis, um, Atlanta, mm-hmm. uh, quite a few. And so we continue to grow. So how do you, how does a, a state or city or region get into becoming a part of the Bourbon Women Association? So anyone can join. You can mm-hmm. go to our bourbonwomen.org. We have just you know a membership to the organization. But once we get a certain number, sort of a critical mass in mm-hmm. any one area, then you can start a local chapter. And so that's how the DC chapter came to pass. We finally hit the threshold, I want to say around 2016, 2017. And the DC branch was launched in 2017. Okay. So So it's through the national membership. Okay. So how did you become the DC branch ambassador? Did you have to go through some type of like testing or how did they choose you? Was it a vote? No, it wasn't saying it's a vote. Um, One, it's, it's a, um, we had a very active and great, um, branch ambassador who started the DC branch and did a lot of work in kind of developing the membership. So in that sense, coming into the role was very easy because Mm -hmm. someone had done a lot of great work out of me. Um, I had been a member and affiliated with Bourbon Women off and on since really 2012. Um, So I had sort of a long history with the organization. And when they said, we're looking for someone, I was happy to jump up and take that post because who wouldn't want to spend time getting women together over a good drink, right? Oh, so. Especially some good bourbon. Exactly. <laughs> so what's kind of the, the history of bourbon in the D.C. area? I know um, George Washington had some, and they were recently, um, in the last few years, I think they found the recipe or something. Yeah, so George Washington and is known as America's first distiller, Mm-hmm. I will say there were definitely women distilling before he was. He was not no the way. first, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> Mount Vernon had a commercially successful distillery on its grounds um, mm-hmm. in the, I believe, the late 1790s. Um, so there was an active distilling culture, certainly in this region. Mm-hmm. Um, Maryland, along with Pennsylvania, is known as being the birthplace of rye. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of another feather in our cap for the region. Um and we are now, I believe as of 2019, Washington in partnership with Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia as part of the Whiskey, Rebel- sorry, Whiskey Rebellion Trail. Wow. And so you can kind of you know, visit some local distilleries and hear the part that sort of DC and the larger region played in the history of American whiskey. Wow, that's good to know. I might have to take that trip. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, the important, yeah, I think the important thing to remember about DC in anything, right, is the laws that we make from the nation's capital affect the industry in a big way, right, and shape its history. So it doesn't always have to be that, you know, we were, you know, on the forefront of some big breakthrough in the technology or the industry itself, but everything that the nation's capital does is influencing what um, distillers can and can't do. And obviously that's true too of of state governments, but certainly, um, you know, one of the biggest developments was the whiskey rebellion which came about because of an excise tax excise tax that was Mm -hmm. put on um distillers right so and that sent a lot of people out of the immediate region around philadelphia and 
you know, and around the national government out mm -hmm. into other areas to start their distilleries. So, yeah. Well, you, you think about what you said in the beginning, like about having those closed doors with men, you know, having their cigars and bourbons, you hear a lot about that's where a lot of political, you know, right. political talk happens. Right. right. So you think about DC must have some rich culture, you know, some rich history about it. And, you know, because there was politics going on, they were drinking that bourbon right. and, and having their cigars and, you just think about how many women were around that, around those politicians, around, you know, fighting for, you know, the industry, carrying it around, like you said, during prohibition, during that time, and being in those yeah. spaces. Yeah, it really was the women's temperance movement that was at the front of getting prohibition enacted in the first place. But it was also a woman who initially actually had supported prohibition, but then decided, you know what, this is a terrible idea. And so she got <laughs> a group together and became right. one of the leading voices in getting it repealed. So, and again, that's another big thing that shaped the industry was mm -hmm. prohibition and who survived it and who didn't. And so that's another way that DC really does sort of shape the bourbon industry. Yeah. So how did you like find your love for bourbon? Was it just one day you were like, let me try something new or how were you introduced and then found a love for bourbon in the culture? So my love of bourbon is very much interwoven with bourbon women. Um, uh -huh. I had gone down just traveling. I've always been somebody who's interested in food and spirits and wine and what it says about the region where it comes from. Right. And so right. When I'm not drinking bourbon, I'm learning about barbecue and why they make it differently in Memphis than they do in Texas than they do in St. Louis, right? Because the right. way that you do things says a lot about a culture or a, a region. Um, right. And that's what always, what always drew me to wine, actually. Um, mm -hmm. I used to do wine education and things like that. Up until I went to the Bourbon Trail and attended what had to be one of Bourbon Women's first ever events, I had never seen it presented Mm -hmm. in the way that somebody would approach, say, a wine tasting, right? It very much was that it's a couple of guys who seem to talk a lot about what they think they know. And, you know, that didn't seem open to me, where I went to this very um, kind of approachable tasting, where it was like, mm -hmm. here are a number of different samples. Here's what you would taste differently in this one versus another one. Here are some foods to go with it and how that might change your experience of it. And so mm -hmm. it let me in in a very inclusive environment. And, you know, once I was in there, I was hooked, right? Because it is a, it's a fascinating world where people are doing, you know, very different expressions with mm -hmm. you know, ultimately the same raw materials and what they get out of it and what they can coax out of it, whether it be out of the grains or out of the barrel or out of the process is fascinating, right? So, yeah. um, and, and I would say too, you know, I, I just love cocktails, right? It's <laughs> cooking in a glass. Yeah. And so, and you get some great bourbon cocktails and certainly, you know, classic cocktails out of, out of bourbon. So that's just, that's another fun way into it. Yeah. So you mentioned like the food pairings. I'm interested in that. I'd, I'd never done like thought about bourbon and food pairings. It's usually just something that I just have. So can you talk about some of that food pairing that you learned about? Um, so if you're going to do, say, a bourbon tasting, there's a few really good things to have on hand that can draw mm -hmm. out the character of a, of a bourbon. So bourbon and chocolate is a fantastic pairing. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, bourbon, you know, if you have some like dried cherries on hand or other dried fruits, say like dried apricots, if you have, mm -hmm. you know, nuts in your hat, like try it with different nuts, right? Because you're going to pick up nutty characteristics probably from the barrel aging process. And so if mm -hmm. you taste 
you know, taste a specific bourbon with a little bit of something else that draws out its chief characteristic, you're going to have a different experience with what's in that glass. Mm -hmm. And so you can go full on. There are now, in fact, there's a new book also by Peggy No Stevens called Which Fork Should I Use With My Bourbon? And it oh, wow. is all about how you can go from just pairing a couple little snacks here and there with mm -hmm. a couple glasses of bourbon versus full on here is a bourbon cocktail pairing to go with a multi-course meal. So there's a lot of different ways you can take it. You know, I don't think people think about bourbon like that at all. Similar to, like you said, how you do a wine tasting and different and thinking about like the different pairings with food. Do they, do they also teach you about like the looking at the color of the bourbon as well and learning about the different, you know, cause I've seen where there's been like some white whiskeys and the different color variations. So is that something that they speak to as well on these bourbon tastings? Uh, yeah, definitely. Cause I, and, and probably again, because to me, I saw a lot that I could already draw on having studied wine, mm -hmm. but it's very much that sort of, you look at the color and the color, you know, a deeper color could tell you something about where it is in the aging process. You're still mm -hmm. going to do that sort of see, swirl, sniff, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> sip, kind of tasting order that you would do if you approached a wine. Um, the only thing that's going to be very different, and I learned this the hard way, uh, when you go to sniff a wine, right? People put mm -hmm. their nose really down in the glass yeah, and they sniff with their mouth closed. It is very important doing a dip, like a sniff of a bourbon or any other whiskey, leave your mouth open because <laughs> that alcohol, right? Goes up and kind of stays in there. So you don't want right. to get your nose too far down in the glass and you want to leave your mouth open because it lets you kind of taste more of the different flavors because you're kind of aerating what mm -hmm. you're experiencing. So stiff with your mouth open, save your nose. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then this, the tasting is a little bit different um, in the sense of it's called, you know, the sort of best way to do it's called the Kentucky Chew, where oh, you take yeah. a little bit of a sip and you really let it work its way around your mouth and then mm. really focus on um, how it feels in your mouth, what you taste, what are the different flavors as it passes over your palate. Um, mm -hmm. And then what do you feel, you know, after you swallow it, right? Does it leave an aftertaste? Does it burn? What does it do? And if it burns, you call that a Kentucky hug. That goes with the chew. Yeah. Gotta love all the Kentucky references here. <laughs> I mean, I went to Kentucky last year and everyone's like, well, what are you drinking? I was like, I'm in Kentucky. Where's the bourbon here? Right, right. <laughs> like, you don't but I will say there's, yeah, there's very exciting things happening across the country. It's, it is probably one of the most common misconceptions that bourbon has to come from Kentucky. It mm -hmm. does not. You can make bourbon anywhere in the United States. You just can't make it anywhere else in the world and call it bourbon. But there are good Tennessee bourbons, good Virginia bourbons, good DC bourbons, right? So mm -hmm. there's a lot going on um, that's very exciting outside, both in and outside of Kentucky. Well, let's talk about some of those local bourbons that you just mentioned, like good DC and Virginia. What are some good local brands that you may recommend just off the top of your head? Uh, so I'm a big fan of, I would say Republic Restorative. They're one of the first. Love women. them. Yes, they're one yes. of the first women-owned distilleries. They're great. Um, one eight distilling. Uh, we've gone actually. Bourbon women have gone. So did the first DC, what we call grain to glass, where everything is done locally. Mm -hmm. um, and I forget what year they released that, but they're doing some really exciting things with bourbon. Uh, Joseph Magnus is doing some great things. But I would just put a shout out more generally to the larger DC spirits community, particularly now during COVID where, you know, I just the, 
the caring and the initiative and the flexibility that I think a lot of the DC and other distillers in the country are showing like, okay, so we can't open for tours. You know what we're going to do? We're going to make hand sanitizer. So yeah. if you're a rum fan, go check out, you know, Cotton and Reed, Thrasher's Rum. If you're a gin fan, go check out Green Hat Gin. Check out different distillers in the larger, um, you know, wherever you are, right? If you're in Maryland or Virginia, I mm-hmm. myself am a Virginia resident. Of Virginia state government has made it much easier. Distillers can now ship to your house and they could not before. Yes. So there's a lot that you can try hate to say thanks to COVID, but you know, there are, the government is helping open up different avenues to trying different things. So if there's a local, you know, if there's a distiller in your area, certainly in Virginia, mm-hmm. you can have that shipped to your house now, give that a try, right? Um, yeah. Catoctin Creek does some great things in the larger uh, area. Um, and also, you know, one of the changes has also been a lot more of your restaurants can now do cocktails to go. And yeah, so they you can try some of your favorite spirit expressions and help out your local restaurants and bars at the same time. Yeah, I think Republic Restoratives is too making hand sanitizer. I live in DC, so they are doing home deliveries. Um, you can yep. go pick it up. I know they are making hand sanitizer as well. So definitely, um, I agree with you. If you can get into, you know, ordering things, trying new things to, while you're at home, just to have something more to do and explore. I think you you gave a very good suggestion to the audience. Definitely. So thank you for that. Like I, now I want to try more different places now. <laughs> um, so getting back to um, just different stuff about like the events that you have, cause you mentioned about some of the events that DC has, but so what events, I know we're going through COVID, but we will get back to normalcy. So what are, what are some of the events that you do um, that Bourbon Women DC do locally? And then what are some of like the national events from the national um, headquarters? So our last event here in DC, we did a distillery tour of Republic Restoratives. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've also done under um, our past branch ambassadors leadership, we did a great session called Whiskey Her Story. Mm -hmm. that was about the history of contributions to women to the whiskey industry, including to bourbon. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a past tasting that was very popular called He Sips, She Sips, Mm -hmm. that was about, you know, how men and women approach bourbon and who had, you know, do they actually taste it differently? Is it a different experience? Hmm. Um, Women have different olfactory receptors, so they might get different flavors out than tasting the same thing along with, um, you know, their, their male counterparts. So um, sort of investigating what is that, you know, what do those differences look like? Um, what on the national level, our biggest event, our sort of signature event is called Symposium. Mm-hmm. So not Symposium, but Symposium. I like that. Um, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, and that is our annual convention in Kentucky every year in the summer. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, this year, to be able to take care of the the health of both our members and people in the industry, right? Because it is a, everyone comes to Kentucky and we go on distillery tours and we do mm-hmm. seated events and all that kind of thing. Um, we are postponing that till next year and okay. we're going to do a virtual version of that, uh, of our symposium. Um, but leading up with programming kind of throughout the summer and culminating in what would have been our in-person symposium in Kentucky, uh, August 20th through the 23rd. So, okay. um, so yeah, our, that is one of our big national events. And then any of our branches, you know, 
we do a number of happy hours, mm-hmm. uh, educational tastings, really kind of, you know, try to be as responsive as we can to what members are looking for. So you do have to be a member to attend these. Someone just can't come Not like, for information. Okay. Not necessarily. Yes. People, our events are typically open to everyone. A membership will usually get you a discount on the event or okay. um, you're going to be the one of the first people to hear about it, but very frequently. And if you watch, say, our social media, either on um, Instagram or Facebook, you'll see announcements of events. And we will always say members only or everyone welcome or okay. whatever it is. So so audience, you got to follow Bourbon Women DC and the <laughs> National Chapter to see when you can get to one of the events and just explore and then you'll maybe want to become a member. And Yeah, you and know. you can always be on our email list. Um, usually the best way to get on the email list, um, you can email us directly at BW Washington DC, but we also have, um, you can send us a message through Facebook and we can make sure that you get on our local mailing list. All right, that sounds awesome. So you talked about a little bit how you're going to do some things virtually. Are you guys going to do uh, virtual events um, locally with the, the branch to stay connected with members and things of that nature, um, aside from the symposium that you all are having? Yeah, so we're going to have our, we'll know a lot more about what our national level programming looks like on National Bourbon Day on June 14th. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we kind of roll out the national schedule, then we'll look on the local level. Okay, well, we, do we want to do just a local virtual happy hour around that specific event? So we're mm-hmm. kind of in this sort of, you know, obviously for everyone, what is uncharted territory, <laughs> kind of, you know, looking to um, both events and how they develop in the local area, as well mm-hmm. as, you know, taking advantage of the programming that we'll be getting out of um, out of national headquarters to kind of help shape um, what we're doing. Also on the local level, you know, we have a number of different partners here in DC. And so Mm -hmm. um, I typically let our membership know, hey, here's a place that's having a great event, or did we get um, a special invitation? You know, we've had some distilleries invite us to some of their virtual events. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we partner with them and open up um, opportunities to our members that way. That's awesome because we have to think in this time, like how we stay connected, especially with our organizations that we're very social with and keep us social with people from all walks of life. So I think that's awesome that you all are finding a way to still connect with people, to partner with, you know, some friends in the industry that you get, you know, the word out there about what you all do. So I I commend you all for doing that. And like I said, I think it keeps people with some type of normalcy now. Like I can still do these things, even though I have to be cautious for health reasons. And I think that's one of the things that I really like about the bourbon industry is how much of it is a bourbon community. Right. So it doesn't take much to know a lot of people in it pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know somebody, someone else will know them, right? So when it comes to something like this, there are already, there's a big network to draw on to be able to kind of either bring programming or find resources or find a way to help, right? I mean, even mm-hmm. here in DC, there was um, an online fundraiser for local bartenders and another one for um, people who would just flag like, hey, these are uh, you know organizations that are on the front lines of helping people during COVID nineteen. Right. How do we, you know, how do we partner with them? Um, and Bourbon Women has also been working with, or at least partnering with. Spirits United, they have been doing a series of virtual toasts to help get relief money to bartenders and other folks in the industry who are, um, you know, who need extra help during this time. 
Yeah. So there are a lot of partners out there to work with. And so that's actually made things, I think, fairly easy for a lot of our branches to stay connected because there was, there's already such a strong network and such a strong community around the industry. That's great. That's awesome. So I know you said you'll be the, you all will be doing stuff to um, celebrate National Bourbon Day, but how will you personally be celebrating? Is there something special you are going to do like by yourself or in your home or something to celebrate National Bourbon Day? So I have a little um, sampler that I have acquired uh, and mm-hmm. have not yet opened. So I'm going to do a little tasting in my home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also have a couple chocolates to go with it. Like I said, I bourbon right. chocolate, great pairing, right? So that's an easy thing to do at home. Right. <laughs> um, and as always on, you know, at any bourbon occasion or frankly, any event, right? The mm-hmm. traditional uh, strong women toast, right? So here's to strong women. May we know them. May we be them. May we raise them. So you'll probably hear me say that numerous times on National Bourbon Day, as well as staying tuned to our um, national headquarters to see what is our summer program going to be for the, what we're now calling the SIP Summer Series. So we'll be the programming throughout the summer leading up to the symposium in what will now be a virtual format. I love it. So how do you take your bourbon? Uh, you know, it depends on my mood. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just want a little, you know, neat shot of something special. And sometimes I want to mix it with something else or mm-hmm. try something I haven't tried before. Um, and that's, I think another reason I like it, right. It fits a lot of moods. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Sometimes I, like I said, I'm a bourbon whiskey girl. So I know that it's a lot of moods. There can be happy times. There can be times where I was just like, I had a day I just needed neat. Just give it here. So yeah. trust me. Well, and it's funny. I will say my my quarantine uh, discovery was how well bourbon pairs with cold brew, right? Because we're all in this mm. phase where nobody knows what time it is anymore. So I'm just right. like, I will put my morning coffee with my nightcap somewhere in the middle of the day. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you a little bourbon with some good cold brew coffee and a little creamer top on it. And I also top mine with a little bit of bourbon smoked sugar. Ah, look, she did. Look, you just created a whole new situation for some people, I think. Yeah. So just, you know, and, and people are, you know, it's a, again, trying to find the good in what has been a very difficult time for lots and lots of people. There are so many people sharing cocktail experiences Mm -hmm. and recommendations and spirit recommendations online right now. It's just a very vibrant time to be learning from others. Yeah. And from people who probably didn't have the time to be online when they were at their day job all the time. So. Right. Yeah, I know. I've, I've explored a lot of different things remotely while working home remotely. So this is, like I said, that cold brew situation. That's some good information. Yes. And you can find, actually, I found a coffee that was aged in a bourbon barrel. So it's wow. already like a sort of bourbon essence coffee to begin with. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't need much more, you know, much more help out of the bottle to really pull out some rich bourbon characteristics. So. You'll have to share me, share that one with me so I, can, <laughs> so I can tag them or something like that. That sounds amazing. I could just imagine it, like you said, with the cold brew and the bourbon, you know, sh- bourbon sugar. Oh, that's a, like I said, I'm over here now thinking, okay, I got to go get some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so um, do you think now that like after talking and learning what you've learned, do you think that the bourbon culture is more accepting of women now and that, you know, women have made their mark in the industry? 
I think women have definitely made their mark. I definitely think the bourbon industry is more accepting, but I also think there've been a lot of women who it, it wouldn't have mattered if they were accepting or not. They've just made their way, right? right. It wasn't sort of anybody who was waiting to be let in. They just sort of blazed their own path. Um, I'm very proud to say that uh, our one of our co-branch ambassadors at Bourbon Women Texas mm-hmm. is the first Latina um, bourbon maker in Texas. Wow. She works for Garrison Brothers Distillery. Um, our own founder, Peggy No Stevens, was inducted into the Kentucky Bourbon Hall of Fame yes. last year for all of her contributions uh, to the bourbon industry. Um I know there was a lot of news around you know, Peyton Manning introduced a new bourbon within the last couple of weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. And his master blender is this very renowned woman in the bourbon industry whose name is Marianne Eves. And she's very accomplished in her own right with some, some past endeavors. Um, so there, you know, there are a lot of women making a lot of noise and inroads and just quality product in the bourbon industry. And it's a really fascinating and kind of wonderful time for everyone because of it. I think that's awesome that, you know, it's becoming more common and, you know, so I don't get those looks anymore when I'm out, you know, (laughs) you know, saying, Hey, I like bourbon. It's okay. Like women are in this culture more than you know. And I think I love that you're giving this education to the audience and to myself, because even though, like I said, I drink it, I don't know everything about the culture. And I'm, I'm happy that you're sharing this information so that we can learn more about the culture and how women have made their mark in this culture for a very, very long time. I'm yeah. happy to do it. <laughs> so um, what advice would you give to someone who wants to get into bourbon culture? Someone who's like, okay, I want to try something new. I'm not well-versed. Is there something kind of light or do I go full on? Like, how do you give them advice for that? So I think about how it was when I started drinking coffee, mm-hmm. right? Like I did not like my first sip of just straight coffee. So I think go into it, prepared to try it a couple of different ways and mm-hmm. prepared to try a couple different bourbons, right? So to be a bourbon, the sort of recipe or what we call the mash bill has to be 51% corn. So mm-hmm. most bourbons are naturally going to be a little sweet because of that corn, but it's what you do with the rest of that recipe that can make a difference. And so you're Mm -hmm. going to have some bourbons that rely more heavily on wheat. So Maker's Mark is a really well-known example of that. You're going to have some bourbons that rely more on rye. Um, If you've had, say, um, Four Roses or um, Old Forester, those tend to be sort of more the rye-influenced bourbons. Mm -hmm. So pick a couple different things. You may not, maybe you're not the rye fan, maybe you like the wheat style, but the the tragedy would be, right, you tried one and you're like, oh, I don't like all bourbon. So realize that if you don't like one, it doesn't mean you won't like all of them. It just means you haven't found the one you like yet. Right. Um, and I think a good way to sort of go in with a tasting, um, and not everyone will do this, but a little bit of ginger ale as like a side thing, right? Yeah. So think about it, like when I think about the coffee, like sort of, you know, as I whittled back on cream and sugar. So if I would come to the bourbon table as a start, always try a little bit straight to know what you're trying, but then have a little water dropper or have a cube of ice or have a little, you know, have a little dose of ginger ale because the ginger in it's going to help bring out, you know, it's, it's not going to mask the flavor, but it may be the way that, you know, it's not sort of a shock to your palate right away. Right. So try a range and then try a range of options when you try it. And I say the same thing about bourbon that I do about wine. A good bourbon is the one you like. 
And the best way to take it is the way you like it. So don't let people tell you what your preferences are or should be and have it the way you want to have it. You want to, you know, mix it with Dr. Pepper. That's the way you like it. Take it that way. Right. Well, like I said, I I can put it with ginger, have it neat, have an old fashioned, put it in some tea, (laughs) make a hot toddy. I mean, now I want to try this cold brew coffee way that you, you suggested I think you're right. Find the way you like it. Find what you like and have it your way. Yeah. No, there's so many things that I think, you know, and I think, and like I said, I've sort of got my way into spirit sort of through wine to start with, but Mm -hmm. wine has that same layer of people that want to tell you how to do it and what's good and what's right. And no, you shouldn't do it that way or use that glass or whatever it is. And so don't let the snobbery get in the way of really enjoying something that, you know, has always been meant for everyone. Yeah. So is there a difference like with the different, um, cause you know, you always have that top shelf or like the, you know, the start, the kind of like, I don't want to say like less expensive type of bourbons versus the more expensive. Is there a real difference there? Um, I mean, certainly the there's going to be a difference because, and I would say just, one of the differences will be right like your more expensive ones are probably going to be have have been aged longer but that always adds expense right because that's so many years that you can't sell something so and if thing you know if they get if the flavors get more complex over time you definitely will notice a difference in the profile of a bourbon you know a younger bourbon that's likely to be cheaper than Mm -hmm. a more expensive top shelf bourbon that's likely to be either you know it could be small batch or they're using it, they're reserving their best barrels for it or whatever it is. But that doesn't mean that to you, it has to taste better, right? You may, you could get a really expensive, same way somebody can get a really expensive wine. I'm like, it wasn't worth it, right? I like this $8 bottle as much as I like that $200 bottle. It's what you like. Um, I will say most people try not to throw the really expensive stuff or the really aged stuff into a cocktail, because if you're going to add other things to it, Mm-hmm. Go with those younger, cheaper bourbons because you're not going to get the full expression of the bourbon anyway once you mix it with other things. So that's one thing I would say is a key difference. But in terms of how it matters to you as a consumer, right? it's what you like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. But I like how you just, you really, I think on this full conversation broke down a lot about bourbon. I have a lot to learn. Um, I think my audience may have a lot to learn to explore more into bourbon culture, but I enjoyed this conversation. Um, enjoyed the history of it. You're so very well versed in this. I, I do see why you are the DC branch ambassador for this organization <laughs> because you are very well versed in the bourbon culture. So I appreciate you for coming on today and sharing with us your knowledge and what the, what the bourbon women organization is doing, um, especially right now in the time of COVID when we're in the pandemic and how they're still connecting with their audience. So I I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. And again, I invite anyone who's interested, please visit our website at bourbonwomen.org. You can connect with us at the DC branch, either on Facebook or Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, you can always send me an email at bwwwashingtondc at bourbonwomen.org. And we are more than happy to put you on the mailing list just so you can stay in touch with what we're doing, whether you want to become a member now or not. And I'm really excited about our SIP summer series because I have found that, you know, while we can't be together in person, the Mm -hmm. upside is we have access to a lot more people who can't leave their house, right? So people that wouldn't be able to get to come to DC will be available virtually 
through the SIP Summer Series. Yeah, that like I said, that is amazing. I, I love the connection. I'm going to have to jump on some of these because there's a lot, like I said, I need to learn. And I'd love to connect with more women who are in urban culture. Definitely. Well, I'm going to add you to our mailing list because now yes. I have your email. <laughs> yes. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. And I'm excited to sit down for a drink with you someday in person. <sighs> I can't wait. We will definitely have to do that the second they say everything's open. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and well, actually very cute now too. I will put it. We also have these very, um, until everything's open again, my latest uh, bourbon women uh, gear is actually, we have bourbon women face masks now. Oh, so I have one that says the bourbon women logo and it says this girl needs a bourbon. So I'm very much looking forward to wearing that out in public in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> but guess what? It's probably true. Cause I might need a bourbon at times too, going out in all of this. Yes. We've taken to calling ourselves now social distancing drinkers. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I can totally understand. I'm gonna have to grab one of those masks so that <laughs> when I'm going out and I'm having a moment like, yeah, just mm, gotta get to the liquor store and get some of this. So <laughs> <laughs> well, audience, thank you so much for listening to Tea Time with Monica. And instead of sipping tea, we need to sip some bourbon on National Bourbon Day, June 14th. And thank you, Heather, for coming on and sharing all of this information with us. Again, thank you, Monica, and cheers. All right. We are out. You've been listening to Tea Time with Monica. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast media. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow me on social media at Monica underscore the curvy diva spelled M-O-N-I-C-A underscore T-H-E-K-U-R-V-Y-D-I-V-A and at Tea Time with Monica.
You've been listening to Tea Time with Monica. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast media. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And follow me on social media at Monica underscore the curvy diva spelled M-O-N-I-C-A underscore T-H-E-K-U-R-V-Y-D-I-V-A and at Tea Time with Monica.